This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3192 for Tuesday the 27th of October 2020. Today's show is entitled, A Lightbulb Moment, Part 3. It is hosted by Mr. X, and is about 13 minutes long, and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, The LED Revolution. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome, Hacker Public Radio audience. My name is Mr X and welcome to this podcast. As usual, I'd like to start by thanking the people at HPR for making this service available to us all. HPR is an invaluable service on these hidden tubes. HPR is a community-led podcast provided by the community for the community. That means you can contribute too. Why don't you pick up a microphone and record something and send it in? Sure you could do that, couldn't you? If I can do it, so can you. And if we all did it, we'd have more shows that we'd know what to do with. Okay, so this is part three of my uh, light bulb moment series. And uh, we'll follow on from where we left off. Uh, This one is going to cover the development of the LED. The history of the LED revolution is both long and complex, but I'll do my best to cover it. Please forgive me if I mispronounce some of the materials and processes as I'm not a lighting expert, as I stated right back at the beginning of this series. Most of the following excerpts are from Wikipedia. The LED or light emitting diode first appeared as a practical electronic component in 1962. The earliest LED emitted low-intensity infrared light. Infrared LEDs are used in remote control circuits such as used with a wide variety of consumer electronics. The first visible light LEDs were of low intensity and limited to red. Modern LEDs are available across the visible ultraviolet and infrared wavelengths with high light output. A great deal of development and refinement was required to get to this point. The first commercial visible wavelength LEDs were commonly used as replacements for incandescent and neon indicator lamps and in seven segment displays. First in expensive equipment such as laboratory and electronic test equipment, then later in such appliances as calculators, TVs, radios and telephones. 
as well as watches. Until 1968, visible and infrared LEDs were extremely costly, in the order of 200 US dollars per unit, and so had little practical use. The breakthrough came around in 1968 when Monsanto was the first organisation to mass produce visible LEDs. These were red LEDs suitable for indicators. In February 1969, Hewlett Packard introduced the HP model 5082-7000 numeric indicator, the first LED device to use integrated circuit technology. It was the first intelligent LED display and was a revolution in digital display technology, replacing the Nixie tube and becoming the basis for later LED displays. The early red LEDs were bright enough only for use as indicators as the light output was not enough to illuminate an area. Readouts and calculators were so small that plastic lenses were built over each digit to make them legible. Yes, I, rem- I remember that. I remember having one of these early calculators that you could uh, barely see the digits and uh, a very early, early digital watch. Uh, Somewhere you, you sort of pushed the button and it would come on briefly. And you could see hours, minutes, seconds, month, day, date, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it used so much power that uh, you know it only came on briefly when you pushed the button. Uh, yes, I can remember those. Joe you know, shows you what an old fart I am. Later, other colours became widely available and appeared in appliances and equipment. The first blue violet LED using magnesium doped gallium nitrate was made at Stanford University in 1962 by Herb Muraska and Wally Rines. In 1973, Pankov and Ed Miller demonstrated the first blue electroluminescence from zinc doped gallium nitrate, though the subsequent device, Pankov and Miller built the first gallium nitrate light emitting diode, emitted green light. Today, Magnesium doping of gallium nitrate remains the basis for all commercial blue LEDs and laser diodes. In the early 1970s, these devices were too dim for practical use and research into gallium nitrate devices slowed. In 1993, high brightness blue LEDs were demonstrated by Suji Nakamara of Nietzsche Corporation using a gallium nitrate growth process. In parallel, Aisama Akasaki and Hiroshi Amano in Nungoi was working on developing the important gallium nitrate deposition on sapphire substrates and the demonstration of P-type doping of gallium nitrate. This new development revolutionised LED lighting, making high-power blue light sources practical, leading to the development of technologies like Blu-ray. I see Wikipedia has uh, in square brackets citation needed here. In 1995, Alberto Barberi at the Cardiff University Laboratory, Great Britain, investigated the efficiency and reliability of high brightness LEDs and demonstrated a transparent contact LED using indium tin oxide on, well, I'm not even going to try and guess all this, 
it's I, I mean it's it's a capital A small L capital G small A capital I small N capital P and there's a forward slash capital G small A capital A S Gallim Arsenite uh, in 2001 and 2002 processes for growing gallium nitrate LEDs on silicon were successfully demonstrated fast forward to January 2012 and Ostrom demonstrated high powered indium gallium nitrate LEDs growing on silicon substrates commercially and gallium nitrate on silicon LEDs are in production at Plessy Semiconductors. White LEDs and the illumination breakthrough. So even though white light can be created using individual red, green and blue LEDs, this results in poor colour rendering since only the three narrow bands of wavelength of light are being emitted. The attainment of high efficiency blue LEDs was quickly followed by the development of the first white LED. In this device, a cerium-doped phosphor coating produces yellow light through fluorescence. The combination of that yellow with remaining blue light appears white to the eye. Using different phosphors produces green and red light through fluorescence. The resulting mixture of red, green and blue is perceived as white light with improved colour rendering compared to wavelengths from blue LED YAG phosphor combinations. I've included a graph here that illustrates uh, it's called now I'm not sure you pronounce this H-A-I-T-Z Hate's Law uh, showing improvement in light output per LED over time with a logarithmic scale on the vertical axis. Um, so, the first white LEDs were expensive and inefficient. However, the light output of LEDs has increased exponentially. The latest research and development has been propagated by Japanese manufacturers, such as Panasonic and Nietzsche, and by Korean and Chinese manufacturers, such as Samsung, Kingsum, and others. This trend in increased output has been called, I'm going to mispronounce it again, Hitz Law, H-A-I-T-Z Law, after Dr. Roland Hitz. Light output and efficiency of blue and near ultraviolet LEDs rose and the cost of reliable devices fell. This led to relatively high power white light LEDs for illumination, which are replacing incandescent and fluorescent lighting. Experimental white LEDs have been demonstrated to produce 303 lumens per watt of electricity. Some can last up to 100,000 hours. However, commercially available LEDs have an efficiency of up to 223 lumens per watt. Below, I've included some comparisons for incandescent bulbs. So, for example, I've got figures here for a standard incandescent bulb coming out at 12.6 lumens per watt and an example of a halogen bulb at 24 lumens per watt. 
with LEDs continuing to get cheaper and even though for now they cost more than traditional bulbs, having this huge increase in electrical efficiency means that overall cost is significantly cheaper than that of incandescent bulbs. White indicator LEDs are known for their extremely long life, up to 100,000 hours as I previously mentioned. Uh, lighting LEDs are operated much less conservatively and consequently have shorter lives. LED technology is useful for lighting designers because of its low power consumption, low heat generation and instantaneous on and off control. And in the case of a single colour LED, continuity of colour throughout the life of the diode and relatively low cost of manufacture. LED lifetime depends strongly on the temperature of the diode. Operating an LED lamp in conditions that increase the internal temperature can greatly shorten the lamp's life. I now use LED lighting in my own home, particularly in the areas where lighting is on for extended periods such as in the living room. As you can see, we have come an extremely long way and a relatively short space of time, with advancements continuing to accelerate. It's hard to appreciate the massive impact electric lighting has had on the world. It's even harder to imagine living at a time not that long ago where an expensive candle producing a puny amount of illumination was the only source of light with the added not incredible fire risk of having a naked flame sharing a room with combustible materials. With all these deterrents, it's little wonder that people just went to bed when the sun went down. Right, well that's the end of my series on light bulbs and the like. I hope you found it interesting. Um, if you want to contact me, I can be contacted at mrx at hpr at googlemail.com. That's mrx, at, hpr, the at symbol, googlemail.com. So until next time, thank you and goodbye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.